Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday. And we thank God for each of you tonight. Tonight we have, as usual, a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, trying to just do some last-minute things, as usual, trying to get myself together. But in any event, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Tonight is um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is proving to be a very, very, um, had proven to elicit some very lively, lively discussion. Uh, good evening. Uh, so I want to have prayer and jump right in because we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Uh, let me make a couple of announcements. Number one, for the next two Wednesdays, because of the holidays, uh, we'll be off. We'll be having fun with family and friends, uh, celebrating uh, Christmas as well as the New Year's. And then after the New Year's, we're going to dive right back in. Uh, second thing I want to be reminded of is that uh, as you come on, uh, push your share button. Uh, so you can share this Bible study with others. There's a lot of folk that I've been in communications with, uh, especially today when I posted some questions concerning this lesson online. Got a lot of response, so that was interesting. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, tonight, if, good evening. Uh, uh, tonight, um, for the folks that are on Blog Talk Radio, remember, you can call in with a question and the call-in number is 929-477-2304. Uh, for those of you who are watching via Facebook Live, uh, we got to be more interactive. I know you guys got a bunch of questions out there. Type the questions in. I'll do my best to answer them. Um, it preferably, preferably, uh, when we are um, uh, when we are. Um, at the end of the Bible study, because then I can focus in on that screen, and I can um, see they having me do stuff right now. That, you know that's 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 hard. That's hard doing all this stuff. Um, I can focus in on um, uh, on what you're writing and answer the question. But a lot of times, what happens is. If I am looking down at my Bible, which I'm often doing, or if I'm looking at my notes, if I'm looking at my notes, I won't see a question and some something else will pop up, and the next thing you know, it looks like I'm ignoring you. No, it's just I can't see it. I can't see it. So uh, if you really, you know, hold them until I ask for them at the end, uh, and, and, you know, I really want to answer your questions. I really do. I, I, I hate this seeming like it's 30 minutes of me talking and, and nobody gets a chance to talk back because, you know, deep down in my heart, y'all know I ain't nothing but old Baptist preacher. And you know us Baptist preachers. We, 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 like, we like you to holler back at us, you know. Uh, that, that, you know, we, we feed off of that. But in any event, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Let's dive right into uh, our lesson for tonight, and let's have some fun. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you to bless you and to praise you. We thank you for your faithfulness, for meeting us out here every Wednesday night at this Bible study. God, but even more than just meeting us, you reveal your word to us, you reveal yourself to us, you reveal your plan to us. 
and we thank you for that. God, now as usual, lead us and guide us. Be our teacher. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to open your Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and as I prepare to read, I want to remind you that we're, we, we seemingly finished the major portion of uh, what causes division in the church. But what you're going to see tonight is yet another thing that causes an uproar, a division within the body of Christ. And, and it literally, it can stampede the flock uh, this, by, by not addressing, by not having the disciplines necessary. And so we're going to go into an area that um, can be labeled church discipline. Now, many of us, when we read this chapter, we think, ah, I'm not doing that, so it's not applicable to me. Or if I see something like that, you know, I'm moving, I'm moving out the way or I'm not going to be involved in a place like that. Um, before, you, before you make that determination, uh, I, want you to, I want you to hear what Paul is saying. I want you to look at the situation, and then let's, let's walk through this together so you can see what's really happening here. Because... Sometimes we look at the specific incident rather than looking at the principle that we that 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 is being exposed here. And so tonight we'll look at the incident, but we'll also look at the principle. Amen. So without without uh, prolonging the time, let's d- dive in. We're at First Corinthians chapter five, verse one. It says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So let's dive in. What's the problem? The problem is that there is a man who has his father's wife. That's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is the church is proud rather than being filled with grief, and that man is still present in the fellowship. So let's start out by, by doing some defining things, okay? What does it say? What does it say? It says that, first of all, that there is sexual immorality among you. What is, it? What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality um, that word that they use there to, to translate it, sexual immorality is pornea, 
which is translated fornication. But I think it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than, than that word because that word pornania, it basically means it, it means that a person is selling himself off or surrendering his sexual purity. So, in other words, a person is giving himself away in a manner that is unlawful. You see, sexuality, when to have sex with someone, you literally give yourself away. And when you're giving yourself away, you're giving yourself away in every dimension. You are uniting yourself with that person in flesh. You are uniting yourself with that person in emotionally. You are uniting yourself with that person uh, spiritually. And so literally mind, body, and soul have been given away to an individual in an unlawful way. That's, that's what that pornea means. Okay, it means that I am giving myself away in an unlawful manner. And now, let me define what I mean when I say unlawful. It means I'm giving myself away in a way that is not pleasing to God, that does not align itself with the Word of God. Does everybody understand that? I'm, I, because... So oftentimes we think of uh, um, pornea or, or fornication as a married, uh, unmarried person or a married person having sex with an unmarried person or a, uh, um, uh, two unmarried people um, uh, having sex together. We call that fornication. No, the term is even broader than that. It's even broader than that. When we speak of sexual immorality, pornea, what we're speaking of is sex outside of the boundaries of the law. And there is only one way that you should be having sexual relationship, and that is as, as a married couple, period. According to the Bible, according to the rules that Christians live under. Now, hang on for a minute. Because I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, what about this? What about that? What about the other? Paul says it so succinctly. He basically, in the, in the previous chapter, uh, he says, he says uh, in chapter 4, how does he say that? He says, look, he says, what the world does is no business of mine. He says, I don't even, I, I don't even judge them. Uh, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what they do. I'm concerned about the things that are going on in the household of faith. And so when we who are of the faith, who are in the household of faith, uh, we are the ones that are responsible for ourselves within the faith. What the world does and the world standards is the world standards and that's them. But what Paul is addressing here, notice this letter is to the church at Corinth. This is a letter to the church. This is a letter to believers. This is what believers do and don't do, okay? 
So, so we've we, we got to make sure that, that we're talking about us. What go on, you know, if I'm talking about what goes on here at 1832. I'm, I'm, I'm over 1832, and what goes on in 1832, um, I'm responsible for that. Now, 1835, that's a whole other program down there. You see, we have to be concerned with what's going on at, in our house. Uh, they used to sing that, that 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 song, "Sweep Around Your Own Front Door." That's what we have to do. We got to sweep around our own front door. Anyway, so he says, and rather than you're grieving about this situation, you are proud. And the word that they're using is, "You puffed up about it. You all, you know, you acting like that's some big stuff. You walking around with your chest stuck out." No, that's not what the way you should be mourning. Uh, and when they say, shouldn't you rather mourn? Shouldn't you rather be upset, sad, grieving, overwhelmed in grief because of death? Hmm. Why would he think it's death? Because somebody's dying. Because you, there is death amongst us when we allow ourselves to participate in sinful activities and extrapolate a little bit, extrapolate a little bit, because uh, sometimes we think that the only thing that you could do wrong is a sexual sin. It's a grievous sin, but they, uh, if you're allowing lying to reside, if you're allowing anything that God considers wrong, unlawful, then, then you ought to be grieving. And so he says, in this situation especially, because the, what's going on here, they don't even allow that in the world. Uh-uh, no. So he says, you are proud. Shouldn't you been rather filled with grief and put this man out of your fellowship? You mean kick him out of church? Yeah, I mean kick him out of church. Kick him out. This is a a concept that is foreign to to many people because we're so busy trying to bring folk in that we don't realize that sometimes some folk don't belong in the fellowship. Mm. Go back to the Old Testament for a second. Go back to the Old Testament just for a second. When there was a disease, when there was somebody who came up on a dead body, when there was someone who uh, had uh, um, leprosy or somebody that had some kind of bleeding or, or some pus coming out of them some kind of way, what did they do to that person? When a person was in an unclean state, what did they do? You know what they did. They put him out to camp. They said, you can't be a part of this fellowship. Why? Well, a lot of it was because we don't want anybody else to get infected with what you have. And what, you, what, what we fail to remember half the time is that, number one, Paul is a Jew. He is a Jewish Christian. His thought processes are that, those of a Jew. And he knows how he has been trained how to walk upright before God. He know he, there is the thought of clean and unclean always on his mind. And so when he comes to this, he says, "Hey, y'all gotta 
person that is unclean, I mean filthy nasty, walking amongst y'all, and rather than you put him outside of the camp, you've got it in the camp. And he's going to infect everybody, as you'll see in a few seconds. And so he, said, he says, so, he says, this is something that you need to see. Because it's not just Paul that says to put him out. It's not just Paul that says to put him out. Jesus says, put him out. What? Jesus said put him out? Now, I, 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 early on today when I, I was discussing this on Facebook, somebody says, Jesus wouldn't have put him out. I didn't tell the person because I didn't want to spoil the Bible study. But if you're out there tonight, now I'm going to answer that. What did Jesus say about it? Take a look at Matthew chapter 18. And I might I need to take a couple minutes. Let's see how much time. Oh, yeah, I got time. Okay, I need to take a couple minutes to set this passage up. But while I'm setting it up, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is an interesting chapter because it starts out uh, talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and Jesus tells them, the little kids, if you come to me like a little child. And then he says something strange. He says, but if anyone, and I'm reading it, uh, verse 6, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Do you see where I'm going here? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Paul is merely mirroring the thoughts that Jesus has already given us concerning how sin travels. Sin travels through what people are taught. Children are, are, are taught certain things that will lead them into sin. And you've got to, you've, you've, you've got to see this. That's why I'm reading this Matthew chapter. Anyway, it says, Woe to the world, because of the things that cause people to sin, such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. I want to skip these next couple of verses, and then I want to go down into to verse number um, 15. And there's a reason why I'm reading all of this. I'm going to tie it all together, so stay with me. Hang with me. I think most of y'all see where I'm going, but just in case, hang in there for a second. If your brother, I'm at verse 15, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, what did you read all of that for? First of all, it shows you that everything that is done in putting this brother out is, first of all, done discreetly before it's done openly before the church. Secondly, it's done in love. And thirdly, and most importantly, most importantly, it is not with the eye toward destroying the brother, annihilating him, but instead it's done to restore him. Now, we talked about restoration when we did the Galatians study, to set him back in place, to set him back in his place. That's what, it, that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's in, and when we talk about this thing about binding and loosing, okay, generally you hear people say, I bind the devil in the name of Jesus, uh, I loose X, Y, Z on this thing. And it's used a lot in spiritual warfare. Um, there's a slight misunderstanding there. Because first of all, what this binding, these, this binding is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's done generally by the rabbis, and basically what it is is an, a, um, uh, it's them adjudicating whether something is legal or illegal. So when they say I bind, what it means is I forbid. It is forbidden. So in, and and when it says I loose. It means it is released, it is permitted. So what you have here is the principle of, of forbidding and permitting. And it's important that we understand that. And it says whatever you forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven. And whatsoever you permit on earth is permitted, or whatever you release on earth is released in heaven. Notice what Paul says now. Flip back over. Do you get that part? Does everybody see what's happening here? It, so what the, he's given us the authority. He's given us the authority to permit or, or to and and forbid. To release or say, uh-uh, it ain't happening. That's the authority that we have. If that authority is resident in the church, that authority is resident in your home. So there are certain things that you ain't having in your house. I bind it. I forbid it. Period. There are certain things, and, and everything that we bind or everything that we loose, everything that we release, everything that we permit, everything that we uh, uh, forbid needs to be in line with the word of God. 
And so Paul is saying that should have been forbidden because what? It does not line up with the word. What do you mean it does not line up with the word? Well, let's let's dig a little deeper. I'm trying to I'm trying to do this systematically, but it ain't working. So I'm I'm, I'm just gonna give it to you the way I get it. Um, look, what does the word say about sexual immorality? Specifically, what does a the word the law say according to uh, according to the word of God now? What does the law say about this particular sexual immorality? Well, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 30. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to give it to you. It says, a man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. That's the word. That's the law. That's the principle that Paul now is attacking this behavior under. Secondly, what does it say? Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Uh, Leviticus 18. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Uh, cursed is everyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed, then all the people shall say, Amen. That's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27, verse 20. So the law has taught that when this particular type of sexual immorality is happening, that somebody has placed themselves under a curse. And now you unleashing that curse on the whole church. Oh. And do you see what Jesus says? Jesus, Jesus comes along and, and he's basically saying, and that person, both, they, they're gone, by the way. They're gone. They're stoned. They're stoned. They stoned. They, they, didn't even, they didn't even bother with that. You, they saw something like that going on. Oh, they just took them outside the town, got the rock, and towed into them. But now Jesus comes along and he says, no, wait a second, hold it, hold it. We're going to deal with this because it's, it's, it needs to be dealt with, but we're putting them out. We're going to put them out. We're going to forbid them. And then Paul comes along and he, he rounds it out with, by saying, because this is an eye towards restoration. We can't allow this thing to infect our fellowship. But we're not going to take this person and just forget about it and tell them to go to hell. No. Go to Galatians. If a man be overtaken in a fault, restore such a one with the spirit, with the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. That's Galatians chapter 6. So now, putting it all together, let's, let's, see, let's see if we're going to. Yeah, oh, God, we're not going to finish tonight. Uh, mm, mm, mm. It says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you. Oh, I got to go back. I got to go back a little bit. He says, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment 
on the one who did this. Let's talk about that past judgment real quick. Judge, that word judge can be used in two ways. And then one way is make a determination and pronounce a sentence. We know that we are not to judge anyone in this manner because only the righteous judge can do that. Only the righteous one can determine the eternal destination of an individual. That is not in our purview. What did Jesus say? Judge not that ye be not judged. But this word judge is used in the sense of to make a determination based upon a standard. So what Paul is saying, according to the law, I have determined that this is wrong. So now we're talking about a, an evaluation between right and wrong, not whether uh, not right and wrong or, or righteous and unrighteous, and this is the sentence for uh, this individual. We have no right to pronounce sentence like that. And so in the sense that, that he's using this word tonight, what he's saying is, I've made a determination based upon evaluation of the behavior versus what the book says, and I have determined that this boy is wrong and needs to be kicked out of the fellowship. That's what he's saying. I've judged it, and now he says, and he should be turned over to Satan. Hand this man over to Satan. What are the, what, what are the conditions necessary? One, that they're assembled together. Two, that the power of our Lord Jesus is present. See that? So now he's saying Jesus releases the power to turn this man over. See, Jesus has to be there. <clears throat> this is not a man-made decision. So all this stuff that, we, that we've done in the past about um, just deciding that we don't like what somebody else is doing and they need to be kicked out of the church because we don't like it, if God ain't co-signing. If Jesus' power is not co-signing, then I, I ain't, I don't, don't, don't look for my finger on that. I ain't in it. And I'm not going off in some little corner and deciding. No, this is the entire assembly after, <coughs> after, excuse me, after we've gone to him in the private, we've privately taken another brother with us, we brought it before the church, and this brother or sister still rejects what the Christian community in the presence of God, by the power of God, have determined out the door. But, again, it's not putting him out so he could be destroyed because this word destruction that he uses is ruination for it to be him to hit rock bottom not be annihilated, but instead be stripped of all of this stuff that is causing him or her to behave in the way that they're behaving. So they can get to a point where they see their need and they see the love of God and that God is welcoming them, but 
He got he got to be with that thing that's that's got a hold of you that you lust for, that you love so much, that you love more than you love God, that that be destroyed. That's what turning them over to Satan means. So that what does he say? So that what can be destroyed? So that the sinful nature, the flesh, that which is controlling him can be destroyed and what his spirit saved. You see, 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 do you see it now? Do you see it now? I pray to God that you do. Okay, I got to stop. I got to stop right there. That's, that's, I was hoping to get through this whole thing, but I'm not going to get through it. So, um, And it was only like 12 or 13 verses. I just knew we were going to get through with that. But, okay, it happens. So now, what do we see? We see that there, God has standards. And the standards that God has are not applicable to the world. Because the world is going to do what the world is going to do. They're controlled by their flesh. We spent so much time talking about that. Now, what we, what, what, what instead, what we need to look at is what God desires of us. And what I wanted to do tonight is I wanted to, to go back and, and show you how this all ties in to Chapter 4, where the way we were talking about um, the body as the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, what he's continuing doing as he writes is he's showing, look, we don't allow this in the temple. We don't allow this in the house of God. You don't allow it in yourself because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But I can't get into it. Okay, so, okay, now, you guys, here's what I want you to do. If you got questions concerning First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, which is all we got through tonight, uh, put them on the screen. Um and those of you who are on Blog Talk Radio, you can call me at 929-477-2304, and we'll try to answer your questions. But in the meantime, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you because, first of all, because you love us. Even in our ignorance, even when we're ignoring you, you love us. And we bless you and we thank you. Father, tonight this this conversation that we have is very adult, very serious, very necessary. Because we allow things within the church. We allow things within our homes. We allow things within our bodies. And they're not pleasing to you. And yet you give us the authority to forbid or permit, and we don't use it. And sometimes even when we do use it, we use it in the wrong way for the wrong purposes. So we thank you tonight for teaching us that we have those powers, that we have that authority, and how to use it. We thank you that you shed some light about putting folk out of the church and how we do it. Church discipline, and it's not 
designed to get rid of people, but instead to keep them in the kingdom and that they might be presented faultless before you when you come again. Father, we thank you that restoration has always been, has always been on your mind when it concerns your creation. Now, God, put it on our minds because we don't want to go away and start finger-pointing and blaming and saying, this one should be kicked out because they didn't do this and all. No. God, but instead, keep our hearts set on restoring, reclaiming. God, you love the backslider. You love them so much that you can, you're steadily interceding for them. Teach us to intercede for one another, not treat each other like they're worthless pieces of garbage and just throw them out, flush them down a toilet or something. Teach us to mourn and to grieve. Teach us to keep each other lifted up in prayer, even when we're wrong. Help us, O oh God, to restore the backslider. O oh God, you said you'd leave the ninety and the nine. Help us to be more like you and less like, oh, well, we still got 99, and, and those 99 will make more. Help us not to let vengeance, revenge, and like and dislike bring disruption and division within the body of Christ. Oh, help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay, that's all I have tonight. Um, sorry I went a little bit over, but it happens. I, I will see you next, or uh, one Wednesday, two Wednesday, three Wednesdays from now. And we'll go right back at it. We'll pick up at chapter five. Be blessed and have a wonderful evening. Amen.